0: here we are. Episode two of the damage case. I may sound a little hoarse. Um, Also, I'm going to experiment maybe with the distance on this microphone, um, which is not high quality by any means. Okay, so I put out episode... Oh, shit. No, this is episode three because technically episode one is the termination and then episode two... Yeah, so if you can't tell, I'm like totally just winging this to see if I can just talk um, on the fly. Um, I practice, though. I've been warming up for about eight hours. Um, That's not a lie, and that's not an exaggeration. I've actually been awake um, for over 24 hours at this point. Um, And that was partially by choice. I was pretty tired earlier. And I took it upon myself to just get up and go run an errand. And then that reminded me that if I hadn't done that, I might have actually forgotten to take my iron and then I'd be in real trouble. Um, I'd be really sick if I ha- like went to sleep and became anemic while I was asleep and then woke up. Ugh, Gross. Jesus, I have very severe anemia. Um so yeah, I, I yeah, I get really nauseous. Um I will like projectile vomit <laughs> if I get anemic. Um it's not pretty and I get super weak and like it, it's like I'm it's like I'm about to pass out. Um like woozy kind of lightheaded, like I have to sit down. Dizzy, just basically vertigo. <laughs> it's it's horrible um I'd be dead without you know the discovery of ferrous sulfate to help your blood to help your blood produce what it's supposed to do uh- you know red blood cells what it's supposed to, do, to produce what it's supposed to produce anyway, yeah, I'm a little out of it um like I said, I've been up for a while I'm just doing this podcast today um because I talk a lot to myself. And like when I've been warming up, I don't record everything that I say when I'm alone. And I think that like my podcast, for some reason, like recording it live, like I need to be performative, or I guess like feel the pressure and perform and perform under pressure of like being live. So I consider it sort of like a live recording practice that I'm doing. And I really don't want to edit or cut especially anything out of my audios, um, on these podcasts. Cause I really am trying to improve like what I can talk about and how well I can talk for an hour. Now I have, like I said, I have been entertaining myself endlessly, um, <laughs> for, well, <laughs> it's still going. Um, but yeah, so far, t- uh, in the last like 24 hour period, I've, I've, I've worked a little bit on what I kind of the direction I'm going here with myself, because this is really, isn't for me. Like I'm going to talk about something specific, but it is because it's my life right now. It's everything that's going on in my life. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, how to talk about my emotions and how to talk about myself. Cause that's not something that I have ever been very good at. And I keep gradually improving. Right. I just started getting more improved, um, in my thirties. But by, you know, by now I should, you know, I should know how to tell people how I feel. Um, but I, I struggle a lot with this. It's very hard. Um, it's hard for me to talk about my story. And for a long, long time, I couldn't tell my story. And that was part of my, um, emotional problem that I had. I had a very deep emotional problem and it wasn't just one problem. um, I was traumatized. I was so traumatized and I couldn't get a good diagnosis for that um, until I went to the YWCA in Richmond. Um, But I had to, they, I had to go for a year with a counselor who didn't figure it out before I begged them to let me back in their program um, and got somebody who said, I think you're traumatized and treated me with, um, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy, um, which is a very common treatment for PTSD. And, uh, basically what the studies have shown, um, conclusively, uh, and there is a Harvard study about this Um, I suggest you find that website. (laughs) I probably won't even link to it uh, because this is a podcast. But like there is there is a pretty decent um, Harvard psych um, conclusion, I guess, or finding basically that what they what they know, because they don't really study repressed memories there uh, in their program anymore. uh, They kind of closed the project because like what they found was, I don't know, enough I can't explain why they closed it uh, or the interest in it but um yeah they um realized that people claiming to have repressed memories if they are non um non ex-military cuz this happens frequently with um service members they complain of this <laughs> like um once they're treated this way it's it, it really like the EMDR releases these repressed memories that traumatized people have. Um, and what the Harvards <laughs> found was that, as far as non combatants, non service background people, uh, military service is what I mean, background people, um, the commonality across the board, with nearly everyone reporting a repressed memory. Um, uh, I guess form of p t s d was that there was some kind of child sexual abuse involved um, and that all of them told details about this once they remembered they all told the detail that like when this happened, they didn't react emotionally in the event like like I think it was like nearly a hundred percent of the people who are like me and are saying we have PTSD or it's, and and that I recovered a repressed memory with this particular clinical therapy that is widely used, Um, you know, like, but I don't, I wasn't in the military. I wasn't in war. So what the hell is this about? Like, okay. For people who are skeptics and doubters about this, it's, It's a pretty popular form of therapy for traumatized people, honestly, Um, because a lot of traumatized people don't necessarily show negative emotion um, during a very traumatic event. And then what happens in the layman's version, layperson's version, right? What happens is your brain knows, like part of it's kind of like part of your brain morally knows that what happened deserves more of a response emotionally. But you're also gonna just, your brain's also gonna sort of just try to treat it like it was last Wednesday's lunch as far as memory so it trivial like your your brain just sort of trivializes this very serious thing and then it's a memory that like is literally trapped behind your eyeballs in your nerves behind your eyeballs and i know that just sounds completely nuts but it's the truth this is exactly what happens and when Trauma, uh, I guess, patients. I don't consider myself a patient of my uh, clinical social worker, um, but I guess I was. I don't know. I was her client. When um, PTSD sufferers, warriors, you know, um, sex abuse survivors, all that, when, when they recall the event in their memory it's and I've met another um, recovered memory person who and it was a he was a guy actually um, who told me something very similar to my um, experience um, with recovering the memory actually, and what that was like because it does come to you um, like eventually, you know, I had several sessions, and the EMDR therapy you know, what it consists of during a session is like these clips that they put on your index fingers and they will vibrate them one at a time. And it's always, it's called bilateral stimulation. It's super easy stuff. This is like, it's it's the most basic. it's It's the coolest, like most basic, easy, and almost like anybody, you could DIY this thing and like treat people with PTSD pretty much. Because all you really have to do Is get, you know, kind of talk people down, get them to calm down, feel them, feel in their body, feel in the present. And then the idea is they create a happy place. And this all sounds like a joke. Like this is, I'm sure at some point, like everything to do with this has been made fun of in one form or another. Um, But this is all really valuable therapy stuff. Um, So... You, The therapist wants to talk this person down with the clips on their, you know, the little vibrators on their fingers um, and they have to relax and they have to imagine a happy place. It can be any place that they know they were happy and they remember being happy. It doesn't have to be a favorite or anything like that. So you're talked into this calm sort of state right and you're imagining a happy place and then what the therapist proceeds to do is sort of it's not like it's a little bit like hypnosis i mean she basically you know they're basically going to try to train you by telling your you to remember this happy place every time you are starting to experience the negative emotion of your trauma Right, because the traumatized people with their repressed memory, they don't necessarily have like normal lives. They need therapy for trauma. Like there are symptoms. They don't know what the hell their PTSD is or looks like. They don't necessarily know what it's about. I mean, I've had a lot of traumatic events. I, I, I assumed, you know, all the time that I was traumatized by things that I could remember were traumatic. Things that had just happened ten minutes ago, you know, some guy trying to rape me in my squat, which did happen. By the way, I did get away. Um, but he grabbed me by my sweatshirt and I had to crawl out of my sweatshirt and run out and like down, down the back porch and out into a parking lot with in my bra with no shoes. You know, but I remember that. <laughs> and I was screaming <laughs> at this guy. And I was screaming loud enough that the neighbors came out and were like, what the fuck? And I was like, get this guy out of my squat. And luckily, I was in like this quadplex apartment building. And I knew everyone else that lived in that building. We were all friends, pretty much. I mean, we all hung out with each other at one point or another. We'd all been in each other's places. And before I was squatting in this place, somebody else lived there and people were hanging out up there. But anyway, I, like it was an apartment that I knew people had just moved out of. Um, because I just knew it was there, right? I was basically squatting. I was, I was basically a squatting neighbor, but like every single neighbor in the building was aware of me and knew me by name. Okay. So it wasn't like that big of a deal. Um, as far as like stealing from the landlord, he didn't have a tenant. So whatever. Um, I don't really care. I was homeless. I was batshit and homeless. Okay. I was known as crazy stuff. You have to understand that in Richmond, a lot of the anarchists here know that I had mental health problems 20 years ago. How do you think that looked? You know, how do you think those people behaved? How do you think those people acted? Well, maybe it was horrific by today's standards, but back then I didn't stand a chance, okay? of getting anybody to respond to my complaints of anybody else treating me socially in some kind of microaggressive way, okay? It, there just was a non sequitur, okay? Like it didn't exist. So I got called crazy stuff by some people. And of course there were people who'd say, you know, if I were to say something about that, they would label that kind of behavior maybe or not. I don't even know. What the fuck are people even doing back then? What did we even do? We didn't have social media. We were just trying to figure stuff out for ourselves. But anyway, I digress. Um, I was crazy stuff, also known as giddy because I had some giddiness, like uncontrollable laughter. <laughs> don't get me, don't get me started on how inappropriate my laughter was, and it's I still laugh, but I get stoned and I like humor. And so I I kind of have this mix of like in my daily life now because I'm a laugher. I'm a giddy person. I mean, it was a nickname. Like I laughed uncontrollably and it was not cool at all. Um, and like, people know me for that, but like, there are people who, who saw that like over the years, cause I, I mean, this is Richmond. Where does anybody even go? And there's a thing with this town, you know, when people leave, they come back. Um, like I'm going to see people again. If I'm here, I'm definitely going to see the same people again who were here 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, eight years ago. I'm going to see them unless they have died, like, or completely moved on. This town just has this draw to it. It's, it has a draw because I think it has such a beautiful beautiful small business scene if you're into cute small businesses Richmond is your place like especially if you like restaurants um and it's not even about like restaurants as much as it it is about the food and what people here actually creatively do with food um and Richmond you know it's not as special as New Orleans it's not it never will be New Orleans or anything like that it's never that going to be that special right but as far as it having a draw a scene you know, a culture absolutely. People have a culture in Richmond, and Richmond has a beautiful, rich culture. Um, like I said, of small businesses. I mean, it's just it's delightful. <laughs> it's delightful in a way that is hard. It's it's hard to describe to people who have never seen anything like it. I've never seen anything else like it anywhere else. Honestly, there's nothing else like Richmond. As far as that, I mean, it's just amazing. There's just like murals everywhere now. And there's lots of abandoned spaces, you know, lots of gentrification going on with the with VCU, um, with the big university here. And there's lots of problems that the anarchists in Richmond face on a daily basis, you know, with the police and with um, having to do um, things that... Revolve around public spaces that might um, might be uh, pulled out from underneath them for you know long stretches of time organizing and reorganizing, but you know what people here have managed to do some pretty amazing things for what they 've got, and like we 've managed to get an incredible space um, utilized for our uh, our community kitchen our food not bombs i mean I was just blown away. <laughs> Um, when my friend (laughs) took me there a while, it was a while ago, um, for the very first time, um, you know, I've been cooped up during the pandemic. My roommate has high blood pressure and he's supporting me and I took it upon myself to quarantine in place. Um, even though I really wanted to help people during the pandemic, um, like driving his car. I mean, people were getting unemployment and so forth, right? But I realize there are still people falling through the cracks. I'm one of those people. I'm just fortunate enough to have had a decades-long friend that, you know, wound up having two dead parents at the right time to be living in their house, you know, to actually have the opportunity. You know, he, he had the opportunity to save me from my last rental situation before the pandemic, actually, and when I was employed. Um, So this was in 2019. I moved in with Rich, my roommate, because my last situation in Williamsburg um, resulted basically in, um, I I, want to call it domestic abuse, but it was more like It was more like civil abuse and landlord, it was landlord, it was really landlord tenant abuse, but I was ganged up on by several people. And this has happened to me several times in my life, like socially. Um, You want to talk about, well, what if people gang up? Well, if that has never actually happened to you, shut up. (laughs) Like, why don't you find somebody that it's happened to and ask them what it's really like instead of trying to like relate it you know, to your stupid, your, like your stupid online comms social media strategy, which maybe you should have learned is is a, a minefield, you know. Um, I realize Gina said she stepped on a landmine. But I'm here to say that I'm the real Gina. <laughs> like, I'm the real Gina, though. I'm really blacklisted because of real defamation, which is happening on a reporting system called the DAC, the D-A-C, Driver at Check Reporting System, which is managed by the hireright.com website and company. You know, that's a system that every single motor carrier, trucking company checks when they hire people to drive. And I'm implicated in my report as a regulation breaker for drugs and alcohol, which is false. I'm not the one who broke the reg. The company and their doctor that they hired out you know they hired out from the clinic are the ones who don't know how to interpret the laws, so like I'm being defamed a hundred it's a hundred percent effective blacklist a hundred percent nobody will touch a driver that has a regulation you know strike or some whatever they however they would call it because it's it's the way it's done on the report is it's a vague way of implicating somebody is that because it doesn't actually say that but it indicates that and it's supposed i guess it's supposed to indicate the way people are reading it but it's like wow that's really defamatory because that has it's that is not what happened at all you know but they're all reading it that way if there's any drugs or alcohol data found Basically, it means that a, reg- a regulation was involved, and that's what it- I've got. That I've got that on my report, and it's absolutely ludicrous. You know, I hadn't, I hadn't done, um, I hadn't done cannabis when I went to this orientation in January, um, early January, January sixth of twenty twenty right, to get discriminated against at this trucking company, which is what this podcast is about. Um, I hadn't done my cannabis for well over 12 months by that time. And, you know, when I told them I had, I told them, like, yeah, I've got medical cannabis, THC in my hair. That's how this whole thing kind of started. I know that the very first podcast episode is me getting discriminated against, right? So we're trying to sort this story out. Maybe I'm a horrible storyteller, but I get discriminated against. Well, what led up to that, right? Okay, I'm there at the orientation early, but fuck early in the morning, seriously. And I'm not a morning person, especially then because I mean, I wasn't on... You know, I'm fat- I have chronic fatigue, and yeah, just ugh, not good in the mornings. Usually, very tired, not getting good sleep at night. I'm not on enough drugs. The melatonin's not enough. Blah blah blah. Whatever. I driving has its perks, but limited drugs are not one of those perks. So it's early. The f- first day of trucking orientations, um, which usually lasts a couple days. Um, The first day is always the who gets the ax day. It's the rule out day, right? The first thing they're going to do to see if people are, you know, capable of being employed as drivers for the company is give them a DOT physical by a certified DOT uh, physician. So this is just a doctor, a regular MD, probably a family practitioner, who got some kind of certification to do a special kind of physical. And there's a form involved in some paperwork, right? So they get this doctor at the orientation. He's calling people back to do physicals and everybody's filling out paperwork in the meantime. Um, and the paperwork is all digitized, um, right? So we're just like on computers, basically filling out forms. And I filled out my physical form. Um, it asks for a brief um, medical kind of a medical synopsis of like the present, not even like a medical history. This was a, this was the most, maybe even the most scant um, DOT physical paperwork I'd ever seen. So a lot of times companies, because the DOT is actually really lenient compared to what the comp- compared to what motor carriers prefer um, as far as drug regulations the DOT is, like, my best friend, honestly. They're, as far as the DOT is concerned currently, um, they only care about a 30-day piss test. If you pass their piss test, you're in the clear as far as drugs. That's pretty fucking lenient. They're, they're That is, I believe, designed to not prevent people from becoming truck drivers, Um And they know that truck drivers do drugs and drink and all that shit they're not supposed to do. Um, But the thing is, a 30-day piss test is extremely lenient. Considering these companies, all the major motor carriers now anyway, are basically doing hair follicle tests. And they can get about 90 days worth of hair off of a male's. Most, you know, most truck driver applicant, uh, job applicants are male, cis male. And they've got chest hair, arm hair, and armpit hair. If they don't have hair on their head, they might even have back hair. All that hair is accessible. Um, They can't do pubes. They're not legally allowed <laughs> to do that. I don't even know why. There's... um a problem there um it's a nurse doing the collection like literally a nurse so um you know they cut your hair though if you have the hair on your head they'll cut it and they'll cut it from um like the hairline on the top of the neck or near the top of the neck they get that baby hair right um and they try, usually try to make it, it at these, these hair collections at these companies, they try to, you know, not botch, you know, they try not to botch your haircut or like make it obvious that you got some snipped off the back of your neck or whatever. It's like, just cut this hair that isn't as long and it's kind of wispy, you know, it's, it's maybe it has a different texture slightly or it's just, you know, it's kind of growing off on its own and it, it, it just, it, you're not going to miss it. Right. Well, anyway. When it, was our, when it was my turn to do my physical with the doctor to see if I'm ruled out, um, I knew that they were going to do a 90-day hair follicle test, which is an inch and a half of hair. Hair grows about uh, a rate of half an inch per 30 days. So 90 days worth of hair is how they get a 90-day hair follicle um, test, and that's removed from any non-pubic area. On the job applicants. Um, Then they get to choose. Uh, The applicant gets to choose. The doctor and the nurse don't get to choose. Um, You know, not everybody's comfortable giving up leg hair. They might be more comfortable giving up chest hair or arm hair. I mean, who knows, right? Who knows? But 90 days is like the most common guaranteed maximum length um, that they can get as far as being in half-inch increments Anyway, for whatever reason, maybe it's pricing, maybe it's just some kind of weird market behavior, the companies all do 90 days, right? Because I just, and I, like I said, that's what they can get off the dudes. I've been told that that's why they do it. It, That might not be why. Maybe it gets excessively expensive. I know the more hair you add, the more expensive the test gets. So the longer back you want to go, you know you got to cough up the bucks. And these are big capitalist publicly traded companies. Why are they coughing up extra money for these tests in the first place? Well, the answer to that I think is to discriminate against people. For some reason it, you know, having THC in my hair 60 days ago um, versus 30 days ago in my urine uh, is like such a big fucking deal that they've got to involve all this front this frontier of legality. And honestly, this is to me, it just screams a bad values judgment as far as the strategy for why these companies are even doing this in the first place. Why are they doing it? Well, maybe they want better insurance rates, right? Like, who knows? I don't really don't think the insurance has very much to do with the hair follicle testing. I don't think they have deals cut out with the insurance companies. Um, So I'm just throwing that out there. But do I think that it could be a sort of coalition? Like these companies are all forming a coalition to have a legal strategy of this Um, in, in various ways. Like, is this what they think? actually the DOT should do the, should the DOT model them or should they just, they're just doing it because it's that extra, extra, extra safety and see the trucking industry is the industry you can trust. And is it just like a, is it a public image? Is it, what is it? Like, what even is the reason? Because they're all doing it. And it's not like, It's not required. I I spoke with a lawyer. I've called dozens and dozens of lawyers to talk to them about um, this in case the EEOC kicks out my case and gives me 90 days to sue. If the EEOC doesn't take my case all the way to court, my case against Warner, Enterprises Inc., which is a big $3 billion trucking company, if they don't take my case all the way as far as, and handle everything that they can possibly handle. If they say, oh, we just, you know, we hit a wall and now we can't do anything and we've got to give it to you. Sorry, we have to say we didn't find anything. But yeah, a lawyer can do better, you know, on the outside. It's like, yeah, I called lawyers, right, planning for this scenario. First of all, lawyers, if you have an EEOC uh, charge of discrimination that is open and you don't have 90 days right to sue yet, on that, on that charge of discrimination, so for that case, potential case or case, whatever, basically, no lawyer will touch you as far as trying to make an agreement with you. Um, they won't tell you why either, and they're all going to give you different reasons, and they're all going to have like crazy weird advice or interpretations of your case. Um, and so that's kind of a roller coaster in in and of itself. If you want to figure lawyers out, just call a lot of them <laughs> and tell them the same thing, like tell them about the same case um, and just keep calling and keep calling and keep calling and keep calling lawyers and keep calling lawyers. I mean, lawyers, you'll learn that they'll get on the phone with you themselves. They don't all have secretaries that do all the work. There are lawyers who are like diehards and I don't know what it is about them, but they want to talk to you even if they don't want your case. They they want to hear it. They want to hear it and maybe they want to get ideas um because like like, like you know, like I said lawyers they run they like they run businesses around cases. So it you know, in cap under capitalism you are getting completely fucked in this way, <laughs> okay? This is absolutely, you, because lawyers have to make a business out of your legal strife, you cannot, like, in society, like, pe- the people in general cannot prevail often enough. It's not fair. Like, people do not get to exercise their rights and they do not get redress um, when their rights are violated, you know. And it's it's just gut-wrenching to think about the numbers of this. I can't even, there's just so many untold numbers of people who are never, <laughs> never going to be compensated. I mean, like what, I'm on like at least my third, fourth, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm on at least my fourth like serious enough incident that I should have gone to the EEOC over (laughs) at least the fourth one yeah and I mean this one is just it just takes the cake you know this is a doozy that cannot be unseen (laughs) it's just if I would I wasn't even going to do anything until I found out I was blacklisted you know it I can't unsee this. I can't undo this for them. I can't make up for this for them, no matter how masochistic I am as a person. I can't just move on and move forward. They fucking blacklisted me during a pandemic from a, I don't want to call it decent paying, but from a job that has the potential to get me more money than I could make doing a lot of other things that I'd rather not do um, you know, driving a truck in my condition is way more attractive and I love traveling and I love driving. Um you know, and it it's just way it's just way more fun, honestly, and it's it's so great. Um in a lot of ways. It's so like driving a truck is so great in so many ways. It's just I love I love the open road, you know, and I Honestly, it's, yeah, it's exhilarating, okay? Like, driving a truck is exhilarating. It is. And people really love it, you know? Um, But, yeah, what am I going to do? I mean, like, nobody hires me over this. You can call the recruiters at all the major trucking companies and ask them if I have drug and alcohol data on a DAC report, a DAC, will, will, am I eligible to be hired? <laughs> you know what they're going to say? No, <laughs> right away. Because they all know that that just won't work. Um, that their safety departments are going to kick that back. So it does implicate me as an unsafe driver. Um, and not only that, but as somebody who broke a federal law, a federal, well, federal regulation, which, yeah, they, uh, and it's regulations are sort of like quasi crimes, right? If you break them, it's like a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's, it's like, a, it's almost like a white collar crime. I think that's me. Uh, it, it, it's kind of a weird legal classification that I'm not entirely certain how to describe. Um, what even is breaking regulation? <laughs> At, well, it, it costing someone their career in across an industry, I think is a, Punishment that the courts, especially in this country, um, would determine is unusually cruel um, and egregious just beyond, especially during the pandemic, knowing that it was during the pandemic. And then, the you know, for what they said they did it for and how just sort of nonchalant the company is being about it. Um, I don't think that a judge is going to like their attitude. Also, their EEOC position statement that they gave um to explain themselves is just laughable <laughs> like that can be like what they said and that can be used against them and they didn't say the best thing <laughs> that they could have said Con- you know considering they broke like well they broke a federal law at least once it might be two counts um of ADA violations and it's definite, there's definitely defamation and there's definitely a very good argument for a Pennsylvania medical marijuana act violation, which is a local Pennsylvania law. And then there's also, um, I believe I'm considered protected under the Pennsylvania human relations act. So we're talking about like maybe five, different actual claims um, and every damage category that exists in a tort. And I just don't know how this is going to turn out because of all the fuckery involved with, well, you have to go through EOC. Well, guess what? If Virginia, I live in Virginia. If Virginia didn't have a defamation republication rule, Which allows for every time a defamatory, I guess, bit of information is put out publicly. Every time somebody gets defamed, if it damages them, that initial statute date, the statute of limitations date gets reset. Do you know how lucky I am? (laughs) Like... The defamation costs me so much. And, like, there's, I'll get back pay. I'm not even worried about getting back pay. At this point, I'm owed back pay for sure. Like, it's just a matter of how I'm going to get it. Like, it's really, at this point, a matter of how they're going to ask, they're going to ask to settle this. Because I'm not going to ask to settle this. I'm fine. Um, I'm definitely not asking Um, For a settlement, at least not at this point, I'd have to talk to an EEOC attorney first, they'd have to give me an actual attorney first, because as of right now, my charge has been with an investigator for over a year. And that's a lot. You know, people may think, oh, no, that means they're just gonna, you know, shit your case out or whatever, and give it back to you like forever, and you're gonna have to go get a lawyer. No, they don't do that. If they're not taking your case, um, they're gonna let you know as soon as possible. Like, my, my case is being investigated because there's something there. And it's maybe not the strongest case in the world because my recording of the termination was illegal. However, I get the feeling that pretty much everybody involved in this is going to just sing like a canary. I mean, there's no reason. Like, I, think, I really think these people believe in what they're doing. And I think that they believe that discriminating against somebody in this way is totally fine and it's totally not like it's there's several problems with I mean the whole thing is just egregious like look at the whole thing like look at the company saw the whole thing and then said oh like we don't really have any responsibility for this they actually said that you know they're they're not yeah they're not the they're not the best (laughs) as far as like this getting away with discrimination, and I'm lucky that they're stupid. If they were really, really sophisticated, the EEOC might have a really hard time. I just don't think they're having a hard time right now. Um, probably the hardest thing with this case is can the EEOC wind up getting some, um. maybe some altered jurisdiction because maybe what's happening more and more is um, like this kind of defamatory damage with it being, I perceive it as defamation per se. I think it's a pretty clear case of defamation per se, actually. I mean, it literally is preventing me from being hired it, the, the information that is false about me is the reason the companies will not hire me. You can call them on the phone right now, and it could just call them. Why would I even bother applying? And I've gone into de- I've gone in depth with them over the phone about this stuff, and the reason I found out that I was blacklisted is obviously because the trucking company I applied to was like, "What is this? <laughs> what is this? We can't hire you." And I'm like, "What are you talking about?" you what is this what happened what is this I'm like wow fuck what did they say about me what did they say happened they said I broke a regulation oh my gosh what I'm not the one and like that's lit- like I'm not the one <laughs> they didn't do it right they they fuck this up so bad it's just it's just horrible It's just horrible. You know, I go into this exam room and I'm just trying to make small talk. And I'm like, so how far back does the hair follicle test go? I'm about to sign the papers. And by the time in trucking, by the time you're in the exam room to do your DOT physical, by the time you're in there, you can't turn, you can't refuse anymore. There's a point of no return. If you're beyond the point of no return in the orientation and you refuse a drug test or walk out of a physical, that will go on your DAC. That will go on your DAC, and you will not be hired by anybody. It's a that's a bad, bad. That's a bad, bad boo boo right there. That's basically a failed drug test. That's how they look at it. And that sounds intense because like you're past the point of being able to cons- not consent anymore, for the most part, and. You're in this exam room with a doctor. So that's where I was, right? I'm there. I'm with the doctor. I know I'm past the point of um, revoke. You know, I can't revoke. And I'm just like, fuck me. You know, I'll just, this guy's a creep. And so is this shitty little nurse. And I'll just make small talk. And so how far back does this hair follicle test go? Well, I was assuming it went back 90 days. But you know, this was a little bit different for me because... At this orientation, it just wasn't made very clear. It wasn't like there was no comfort speech (laughs) to the people who were getting, you know, hair cut off their bodies about how long the hair length was and why. And, you know, going into this whole production about we understand it's uncomfortable, just bare, you know, even just making jokes to kind of lighten the mood about it is pretty typical. And that just didn't happen. And so I actually wondered... Because it also wasn't in the paperwork, so I, I just wondered. Um, you know, I, I was like, yeah, nobody mentioned this. How far back does the test go? And the doctor turns around and says, "Well, it depends. We can go back farther on girls with long hair." I about shit the bed. <laughs> I was like, "What are you talking about?" First of all. I'm about to cry. Like, I don't even know what to do at this point. I'm like, holy shit, my hair is full of THC. I have long ass hair and it's just full of THC. And I'm like, fuck. I mean, I could go back. I could go back a good eight inches before they hit it. Nobody in, I had done three other orientations as a truck driver with hair follicle tests. They didn't want the whole length of my hair. You know, there was never a threat that anybody was going to be tested differently because of the length of their hair and their being a girl. And I was just like, Jesus Christ, dude, you just you're going to open with that. Okay, fuck shit. I'm fucking just I'm stuck. I was mad. I was pretty mad, but I kept it together. I know that it, I'd fuck myself if I walked out, and that's the thing. I was stuck there. There's nothing I could do. They, I knew that I'd be unemployable if I got a, if I just walked out of that room, and that's the way it works. And that's very difficult for some people um, to understand and to live with. And so they don't drive trucks once they find out how the orientations and the hirings work. And I've seen people get up and walk out a couple times. <laughs> you know, like I've seen people reject the hair, like the hair cutting, right from the, get, and the, even the paperwork they've got to sign, they're like, I'm not going to sign something that says that. No, you know, I mean, just no, it's like a no for a lot of people who, especially people who have a problem with authority. Um, you can't have a huge problem with authority um, all the time and work for a motor carrier and get along very well, but you could have your own authority as a, like trucking authority means you have like a trucking company basically. Um, so yeah, there's definitely drivers out there with, who have big issues with authority, but like, mm, trying to go to a start, they're called starter companies, the companies that hire people with very little to no experience. You're going to have a problem finding, finding one, um, or you're going to have to go to one with a really bad rep probably if you have a big problem with authority. Um, but anyway, I digress. I don't have like such a huge problem with authority that I can't maintain, um, my emotions and keep it together and hold back and not show them what I really feel. Um, and that's part of the reason why I have a repressed memory form of PTSD. (laughs) Woo. Congratulations. Go me. Right. So I'm just like, wow. Um, I'm like, you know, this is so inappropriate of this of this doctor. But I get through the vision test. I get through the piss test. I get through this hair excruciating hair follicle test. She cut a huge chunk of my hair from like the middle of my head. And I'm like, this is not normal. This is not what they're supposed to do. This is not what anybody else does. And nobody is this stupid. Are you fucking serious right now? And I can't say any of that, you know? What are they? I don't know. I Maybe I could have, but like... I'm not that irrational and I definitely am like a fucking deep state spy in training. I mean, obviously as a Antifa crime boss goddess, duh. So anyway, <laughs> so, um, right. Cause you know, I already know everything I need to know about truck driving and trucking and how to do anything with a truck and in a truck. But anyway, um, I can't drive a truck as a commercial truck driver right now because I'm the real Gina as everybody now knows I am the real Gina. Um, I'm standing. (laughs) You don't have to tell me I'm already standing. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing to me, like, how companies, when they just hardcore discriminate against people, sometimes they just don't believe that's what it is. <laughs> like, they just don't know. <laughs> it's pretty clear in the very recent law that was passed in the state. I mean, it's, look, I don't know how this works for them. All I know is, after I filed my charge of discrimination, the second time The first time I got turned down, because I didn't know I had been blacklisted yet. And the second time I went in there, I was like, I'm not taking no for an answer. And I had to drill it into the investigator that, like, I can see how the Americans with Disabilities Act was broken, possibly multiple times. Like, there's several different ways to interpret this law as broken with my information here, like in this scenario, like I could go on and on about how it could, you know, there's a lot of different ways that it, 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 but something definitely happened, right? Something definitely happened that was illegal. Um, There are actually employment lawyers out there who don't think that my details amounted to breaking the ADA. And I'm like, really? Because the fucking, you know, very senior EEOC investigator in Philly that I was assigned who's very good at her job she was pretty adamant over the phone with me when she called me herself which is I think is you know she called me herself and she's just like yeah I think this is ADA and it's not a gender thing and I'm like really well in the recording the other person there the woman behind the desk at towards the end of the recording, just when she chimes in, when she says in the termination recording, when she says we could do the same thing to men, like that is somehow representative of the attitude of the whole company. So that means that the doctor tricking me, right, into thinking that they were even gonna maybe do that to me because I'm a girl is just all out the window. Like, I just gave it up for nothing. And you think this motherfucker didn't see that coming in my face and want me to see that? He didn't want me to see him seeing that. But he's seen. I see this doctor and his crazy ass for everything that he is. I mean, this is just unbelievable. Right? Who is this guy? well, come to find out there's a handbook he was supposed to follow for medical examiners, and it's like the first and second Google result. If you search for DOT medical examiner (laughs) physical handbook, boom. It's a free PDF on a government website. You should read through it, just like the table of contents part about, you know, scroll down to the part about drugs and then in plain black and white, right, it says the regulation and even, you know, it It names the regulation It gives the number of the law of the code in the U.S. code. It gives the actual code and describes how this doctor was supposed to interpret the regulation that I allegedly broke. He didn't follow the handbook. Anyway, I'm going to describe more about that later. He didn't follow the handbook. If you want to try to be legal sleuthies and eagles or whatever you are and figure it out for yourself and look up the clue in the handbook, listen to the termination, everything else I've said, see if you can figure it out. That's part of like being a good listener, right? It's something I would do if I were you (laughs) because I would be able to figure this out. I'd look at this thing and I'd go, wow, oh, this is pretty fucking obvious. Like, there's this regulation that deals with, what is it, what is it, what is it, um, let's see, drugs, yeah, what does it mean to be a driver that does not use scheduled substances, okay, what does that mean? Driver does not use scheduled substances, does that mean I've never been on medical cannabis? No. No no I'm like no (laughs) not even close like inter like wow like textualists are shitting their pants over this and they're the conservatives who are like yeah but if we're textualists we're gonna take into account that like some stoned people wrote the MMA the Medical Marijuana Act of Pennsylvania not the Gina Carano (laughs) of Ben Shapiro's new film company okay Seriously, I'm the real Gina. Take it easy. Don't kill yourself. Really, if you are traumatized and you have seen doctors, if they have told you you're bipolar a hundred fucking times, and maybe they've even given you dueling bipolar diagnoses, which, you know, will happen, because apparently everyone's fucking bipolar who is traumatized. If you ask anybody in a psych... Word or ER, it's abysmal anyway. The way they tell people they're bipolar, if you ask me, I have a lot of experience with this. I wasn't bipolar, I was PTSD. Um, there's a big difference that I don't want to hear this fucking bullshit of oh, well, you know, it's bipolar, blah, 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 unless they have these PTSD symptoms. No, it's not, it's not the same fucking thing. Get the fuck out of here with that. Um, um, so yeah, let's just say that. When- Y'all can tune in again and find out more, okay? Find out more because I have a long ass story. I have books worth of stuff, okay, that I need to talk about. I need to get it off my chest. It's very important to me that I get it off my chest. I like talking for about an hour uh, on my episodes. I may or may not make sense. I try to remember what I said before. Like I said in the beginning of this, I'm trying to practice more for like live um recordings that's why I, it's i'm not even gonna i'm not fucking with this i'm not gonna edit it i'm not gonna make it pretty for you people no you think i'm gonna add music i might add some music <laughs> i might add some music anyway i'm at illusory art on twitter i am currently in twitter jail in well in read mode you know what read mode is i'm in twitter jail uh-huh see you in five days um i love my people in portland <laughs> And I love my Black Rose, and I love my Antifa in Richmond and RVA, and they know who they are. Um, And I love everybody that came out and showed the mayor um, of Richmond, Mr. Stoney, that he needed to violate a contract, which, in all honesty, like, ask yourself, how many other mayors in this country would be willing to do that over some protests? You know what I mean? Like, our mayor violated a contract. A contract. The easiest fucking thing to violate. Think about that. Peace.